If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of John this morning, John chapter 1. There's quite a controversy over that song about 20 years ago. Not controversy, but like disagreement, I should say, maybe. Like people like, I would be out on the road traveling, speaking with speakers, and they would all, like somebody would do that song. Because there's a line that we, this line we sing, Unforeseen Kiss, like the original version is Sloppy White Kiss. Which I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I think it's a better line. Uh, theologically, I mean, like, the idea being, like, heaven meeting earth in this, like, marriage, right? Like, like Christ coming in this, like, I love, I love that idea of this, the, in, the intimacy. Also, I get, nobody wants to sing that. Uh, so, um, you know, what you going to do? So, uh, we are still in Easter, right? If you think about it, if you, if you follow the church calendar, which is not necessary, but it, I find it helpful sometimes, because I used to think, like, we'll do Lent, and there's this one day of Easter, and then you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would we fast and, and not, or, or just think about immortality for 40 days, and then just like this one day, we, no, it's 50 days, uh, the celebration, the feast of Easter uh, in the calendar. So, it, just in my thinking, uh, I begin to adjust that, like, these days of celebration. So, we're going to stay um, in this idea of celebrating Christ and the resurrection. Not that we don't always do it, but we're going to focus on it for the next several weeks. Uh, And what we're going to do is take a look at a few examples of what happens when people meet Jesus. Um, there's all of these stories. Uh, I don't, if there's one thing that you could tell about God from just looking at creation, it's that he is like, he's creative, right? There's, I mean, just the number of insects, the different types of flowers, uh, just the different types of geography, like the heights of the mountains and the valleys and the depths of the ocean, and those weird things at the very bottom of the ocean, the fish that have the little light that hang off, that's just crazy. Have you ever seen an ostrich? It's a wild world. Like, it's just weird. And, uh, He's just so creative, and and there's so many things that Christians have in common, right? We have one salvation, we have one Lord, we have one baptism, one inheritance, one faith, but there are so many different ways that God calls us to himself. So many different ways. So uh, I, I know people who uh, went to an event, right, where there's like, um, like a B-grade band, and that was mean, I'm sorry. There's a band and a, uh, a speaker, and there's this huge deal, and there's lights, and there's smoke, and they walk down the aisle, and they said a prayer, and, and like God changed their life in this moment. They hadn't gone there intending this, but I know that they, they just met Jesus in this moment. I, I know people like that, uh, that have had that experience. I also know people who, uh, who will tell you, I don't remember a time not loving Jesus, I grew up in a house where they just talked about Jesus all the time. And, and both of them believe in their heart and confess with, with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. And they were drawn to Christ in totally different ways. I, me, I, uh, I, maybe it was when I was a child through my family. Maybe it was in college when I was sitting on the edge of my bed just like staring into the abyss of life. And the abyss stared back and scared me. And I remember thinking, well, I know where truth is. Maybe it was then. I, maybe it was the abyss, that, you know, the thinking about the meaninglessness of life that did it. I, I don't know. Colin, uh, back there on the soundboard, uh, Colin started following Jesus again uh, because of a conversation with an atheist. An atheist basically led Colin back to church. It was amazing. Uh, you don't know how Jesus is, or maybe uh, some, maybe uh, her stories of people like uh, in a hotel room just find a Gideon's Bible and they find revival like Rocky Raccoon. You don't know. It's amazing. So God leads us in all of these different ways back to himself, and that is amazing. The Bible's full of these stories. And one of the things that humans share, all of humans share, is that we have questions. We're looking for answers. Being alive 
in being human just comes with questions like, what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to live? What does it mean to be a good person? What makes life worth living? Why am I even here? How did I get here? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, Or as the theologian, theologian Mick Jagger said, why can't I get no satisfaction? Like, which is like, you know, it's not great grammar, but it's an excellent question. Like, why can't I find fulfillment? Like, why does nothing on this earth seem to satisfy me? So humans just come with these giant questions, and I think that we're asking them, wondering where we look for the answers, whether we know it or not. I think that so many times we bounce from thing to thing to thing, career, path, uh, to family, the importance of family, to self-help podcast, to self-help podcast, to uh, relationship to relationship, and we're just constantly looking, and whether we realize it or not, our soul is asking where is their meaning and fulfillment, even if we don't even if our brains don't register that. We just have these questions, and, and every age has had their answers. Every culture has had their answer, various answers to this, um, and so our, our culture has an answer to it, a prominent answer right now, predominant answer right now, and, and different cultures have different answers to what it means, to, to these big questions. Uh, the Greeks, a long time ago, uh, they basically invented philosophy. They didn't invent these questions, but they kind of more uh, systematized the study and thinking of them, maybe, is a way to say that. But the Greeks had these great questions. So the Greeks tended to believe that the way that you found meaning and purpose and, and understood life and the way that you're supposed to live life is that if you looked at creation, if you looked at the world, there was a natural order. There was an order of things, and you just had to conform your life to the order that you saw that existed already. I fit in this some way. Let me figure out my, what my place is, and, and then I fit into it. Uh, they, they would have hierarchies of plants and, and animals, and of course the people who were asking these questions were at the top of the society. <laughs> like The people who were giving this answer, they're at the top of the society ladder, but the, the, even society had structures, and you just find your place in it, and what gives you meaning and purpose uh, is to find your place in that. And uh, the word they used for this was logos. It's a little bit of an oversimplification, but a helpful one. Uh, the, the, the great order that you found in the universe that you had to, to figure out how to line up with it was, was called the logos. And, and it's into this world that this guy named John, who traveled with Jesus and knew him well, it's into that kind of culture he speaks, or into that way of thinking, I should say. He, he speaks these words uh, this is from the beginning of his, his uh, book uh, called The Gospel of John. I'm just going to read to you a little bit of what he said. He says, in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 14, he says, and the logos, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So there is a purpose, a meaning, an end, a, if you collect $5 words, a telos, right? There's an end and a goal to your life. Uh, And the Greeks would say it's finding your place in this world. And into that world, uh, John drops this bomb and says, no, you don't find it. It's been revealed. It's been shown to you. It isn't some abstract idea or principle. It's a person. 
That's what we do, that's where we find meaning. And so that means that if Christianity is true, this opens all kinds of amazing doors. Because, I mean, let's be honest, that kind of philosophical thinking and, and being and education, it's not available to everybody. It's only available to a very few people. But if it's a person, if it's not some abstract idea or concept that I have to master to, under, to have purpose in life, but it's a person, well, that's available to anybody to have a relationship with him from any walk of life and from any place. John comes in and says, it's in this person that you find and meet and meaning. It's in a relationship that you encounter it, and it's available to anybody from any background. And the crazy thing is, is this person, this logos, becomes flesh and dwells among us and, and, and begins to call people to him, right? He begins to invite people to come to him. Uh, so uh, the first encounter we're going to look at is this guy named Nathaniel. I love this story so much. I reference it more than it's good for any of us. Uh, but uh, um, I... I before we get to Nathaniel, uh, Jesus calling Nathaniel, a conversation with Nathaniel, what's happening in John is, uh, John introduces uh, Jesus this way, uh, and then he introduces uh, another John, not the same John, a different John, we call him John the Baptist, and John the Baptist has appeared on the scene, uh, and he is living in the wilderness, he's dressed like a prophet, he's doing very prophetic things, he's saying very prophetic things, and it's blowing people's minds in the area because they haven't heard from a prophet in over 400 years. It's been like 400 years since they've heard from a prophet. So they're very excited. People are coming out to John and they're being baptized. And people, like the religious leaders are coming out going like, hold on a second, check yourself. Like, wh- who are you? Like, wh- who, do you, who are you claiming to be? Are you like, are you, do you think that you're the Messiah? Do you think you're the promised one? And John's like, no, I'm just a voice crying in the desert, man. I'm just telling you about the guy that's coming next that is here. And so one day Jesus, he's telling these people and talking about how Jesus is coming after him. He says, I'm not even fit to tie his sandals. And he sees Jesus coming and he says like, and he just declares like, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And people's minds are blown. And then the next day after that, uh, John's sitting with a couple of his disciples, people that were following John, uh, John the Baptist and, and kind of trying to learn from him. And Jesus walks by and he says, hey, look, the son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And these guys, they get up, there's a group of them, they get up and they, they follow Jesus. Uh, one of them is this guy named uh, Andrew. And uh, Andrew is following Jesus and he uh, goes and he grabs his brother, Simon Peter, and he says, hey man, we found him. His brother. And this is interesting. I think this, this is the way that God works. He, he calls people to him in all these different ways. And sometimes it's, sometimes he, like, like Andrew, it's through preaching. Someone says a thing about Jesus, somebody proclaims a thing about Jesus, Andrew hears it and, and comes. Sometimes God calls people through preaching. Sometimes, a lot of times, God calls people to him through family, right? That's Peter's situation. Andrew goes and says, hey, listen, you, got, you, have, to come, you have to come see this. And it's through family that God draws people to himself. Uh, and so that's what happens. He goes and gets Simon Peter, and, and Simon comes and follows him. Uh, and then there's this guy from the same town as as Peter and Andrew, this guy named Philip. Uh, I want to read you what happens. This is verse 43 of chapter 1. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So, 
Philip, Jesus calls Philip to him, and Philip goes and listens and sees what Jesus has to say, and he's like, you know who would be interested in this? Nathaniel, my friend Nathaniel. Sometimes God uses our friends to draw us to Jesus. Uh, I know that's been the case in my life many, many times. And so he, uh, he, he, he goes and he finds Nathaniel. Nathaniel will be interested in this, he, he thinks. Because here's the deal. There were a lot of people that were looking for the Messiah at this time. The Messiah was this one in the Old Testament. Uh, the prophets and, and uh, all of like that would, were speaking for God, they kept talking about this one that would one day come and save Israel in, like, in really dramatic language. In really, he's called the king of Israel. He's called the son of God in the prophets. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Moses, right, way back in Exodus, Moses even said, there's, gonna be, there's a prophet coming after me that's greater than me. Matter of fact, you can, you can even go back to Genesis 3 when God said, hey, one day I'm going to deal with this. There's going to be somebody, there's going to be a person, a man that comes from the descendant of this woman who's going to fix everything. So, so for a very, very long time, people have been waiting for the Messiah. This promised one of God who's somehow going to save you. And so people have been looking for it. It's been 400 years since they've heard from a prophet. There would have been students that were, uh, were studying in, in the, the, the scriptures, the Old Testament, and in the scrolls and reading and wondering where is, when is God going to do this thing? Because Man, the past 400 years have been rough. They've been conquered by the Babylonians. Then the Syrians took over, and now they're living under Roman oppression. When is this promised guy going to come? Is it, maybe it's going to be in my lifetime. And so Andrew and Peter and Philip, they're all excited, and Philip's like, you know who would be interested in this? Nathaniel. Nathaniel would want to know about this rescue. So he goes and finds Nathaniel and says, we found him. We found him of whom Moses in the law and also in the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He hears this call. He hears this, this Nathanael, his friend comes to him and he's all excited. And you could hear almost this note in his voice of just disillusionment. I mean, other people have claimed to be messiahs. But there's other people who claimed in the past. That's why they came out, the, the uh, religious leaders come out to John and are like, are you, claim, are you another one of those guys claiming to be the Messiah? And John's like, no, 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 no. I'm just here to tell you about the guy that's coming after me. But other people had. And Nathaniel's like, are you kidding me? Another guy? Are you serious? We've seen people come up from all over the place and raise up, raise up armies and stuff. You're telling me there's a guy from the backwaters of, uh, of Palestine? <laughs> there's no, no, nothing good's come out of Nazareth ever. You're telling me that God's going to send the Messiah into the world and he's going to live in Nazareth? I don't think so. Like, there's no way. And he has this, this natural prejudice that God doesn't do things that way. Right? Prejudice. We all have prejudices. I don't like people who think they're better than me. Like, I get, like, that's a visceral reaction for me. I gotta work on that. Uh, it's awful. You ever known somebody that moved to New York? And then they come back for a visit? And they're like, oh, you don't know how great New York is. It's all the culture, and I thought I knew stuff till I, I got there, and there's so much to know and so much to do, and so I, you just don't even know. And then, you know, like, I'm always like, well, go back. Like, you know, like, you're st- like, maybe one day that'll rub off on you because you're still the embarrassment you were when we left. Go. Get. Like, I just get real. Like, like I have this like, natural prejudice against these people who think they're better because like, you didn't win a prize. Like, you didn't achieve anything. Anybody can just move there. So I get real bad. We all have this, like, like I'm never going to find anything good for me, but we all have these natural prejudices that we have to work on. And Nathaniel's is against like, these small towns, right? Like, like, there's no way. My dad one time told me uh, this story. Uh, he, can't, he, you know, he grew up in, or he'd been going for most of his life to this, like, this big church with this 
pretty famous preacher and this great Bible teaching and he knew all this stuff and he found himself like back at home and he's in this little country church in the middle of nowhere and he said he remembered thinking like, what am I, what's the point? What am I going to learn from this guy? And uh, he says it's one of the few sermons he could remember his whole life. Not because it was good. He said it wasn't good. (laughs) It was delivered poorly, but God spoke to him in this little country church in a way he hadn't in the big fancy church that he was from. I've experienced that myself Many times, I'm like, I've been to seminary. I've been to fancy seminaries, and I've read fancy books that are hard to understand. And you walk in, and somebody with just humility and kindness just, just realize, you just feel like, you just feel dumb. Like how Christ works, how God works. It's unbelievable. I think we all have prejudice. I think there's the modern prejudice against Christianity. Uh, usually the modern expression is the rejection of Christianity, but I, I, I worry that it's without actual careful thought. I, I worry sometimes that it's just dismissive. Sometimes that you encounter these rejections of Christianity, they're just like, oh, it's backwoods, it's this old-timey thing, we, we've moved past this, we know better. Those aren't actual arguments, they're just slander. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 I, no I, engage engage with it. If that's where you're at, if you're questioning Christianity, my encouragement to you is to not reject it because you think it's old or if you think that you grew up and you've understand and you've tried it. No, just like I, engage with it is my encouragement to you. Like sit with it. I think even we Christians, um, when we look for spiritual growth, as we journey and we, we look for answers, as we are wondering what it means to grow, I worry that sometimes... Uh, I don't know, where, where do we look for answers? I, I, best-selling authors, right? Um, where are we finding discipleship? Uh, a, I think we often are looking for a huge experience, right? Like this moment where just something just overwhelms you and you're like, ah, this, I just leveled up and like my life has changed forever. I, I think that we're looking for those, those huge moments. Not that those don't happen. It's just I, I worry that if we are waiting for that type of spiritual growth, I, I really don't want us to miss out on thinking that God, that Christ doesn't call us in the ordinary. I, I would argue that most of the time, that's where he calls us, is in the ordinary. Uh, that he in the day-to-day rhythms of life, calls us to understand all of the things that we do, all of the things that we feel, all of the things that we think through the lens of the fact that he died and rose again and one day we will live with him forever. I worry that we would say, can anything really good come out of small group? Can anything really good come from just showing up to serve? Can anything just show, come from just being a part and being present? Can anything good really come from just getting up 15 minutes and reading scripture? And my answer to you, uh, to, to us as we kind of wrestle with those things and to the skeptic and to Nathaniel, you know what, let's look what Nathaniel's answer was because it's absolutely brilliant. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Listen to the answer. Come and see. It's just a brilliant answer. It just, can anything good come up? My, come and see. Come be a part. Come sit and, and, and experience with us. 
Come be a part of these things. I think that so often we're easily distracted. Like, yes, we know that these things are important, but we're so busy with these things that the world tells us are important. And, and, and to you, I would say, well, come and see. Maybe the reason you're not satisfied with all of these things is this is what you're looking for. In my encouragement, you would come and see. Also, by the way, this is just, by the way, have you ever been in a situation where you're like, well, this person needs Jesus? Not in like a southern condescending way, uh, but like in a real way. Like, like, I wish I could tell this person about Jesus, but then I'm like afraid. Like, I don't, I don't know how to tell them about Jesus. I don't know how to address the thing that they're hungering for in their soul. Let, let me help you. Let, let, let Philip help you. Here's words you can use. Come and see. Hey, I, you know what? I don't know the answer to all your questions, but here's what I would say. Hey, why don't you just come to church with me and see? Why don't you come and see? Why don't you, I, I, don't, I don't know how to, I, understand, I hear the shame, I hear the guilt, I hear the, the dissatisfaction, and you know what? I, I, honestly, I'm not eloquent enough to give you the answers, but why don't you just come and see? Why don't you open your Bible and read about Jesus? Why don't you seek his face? Come and see. That is one of the most brilliant things that we can say. Like, I don't, I don't have all of the answers, I promise. But here's what I know. I was once blind, now I see. I want you to come and see. This is a brilliant answer. I love it so much. So come and see. Um, and this happens. So Nathaniel's an honest seeker. and goes with him. Goes with his friend. Um... And this is what happens. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. <laughs> so, so Jesus, he's coming to meet Jesus, and Jesus sees him and goes and offers this assessment. Hey, man, here's an Israelite who's a straight shooter. There's no deceit. And this guy, he's not slippery like Jacob from, the, you know, from the Genesis. Like, he's not slippery like the Jacob in the stories. This guy is a straight shooter. He sees, he says what he means, means what he says. He, that, that's who he is. Nathaniel doesn't correct him, but he says this. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? How do you think you know me? Like, Jesus says this. Yeah, uh, before Philip called you, when you were over under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. So here's the deal. Bunch of speculation about what was happening underneath the fig tree. We don't know, right? We don't know what's going on on the fig tree, but here's what we know. It was so sacred, so secret, he probably never whispered it to anybody else. It, it was so shocking that apparently this thing that probably only he and Jesus knew at all. When Jesus brings it up, it's so stunning to him that someone would know him and reach into him and cut him that way. He's stunned and says, it's supposed to be the son of God. This guy standing in front of me knows things. One of the interesting things about being human is the deep need we have to be known, to be seen. We, you see it in babies, right? Like one of the greatest things, as soon as babies are able to like move their head, right? You know, as soon as they're not, uh, you know, like bobbleheads anymore, like as soon as you, they can like look, like you'll, like they'll hear your voice and they'll turn and look and if they see your face and you smile, they'll smile back. I love it so much. They, they, they are eager to see and to seek your face, and they always are looking for the face of the ones that they love and the ones that care for them. I, I love it. And, and I don't know that we ever grow out of that. 
I mean, aren't we still seeking being seen and known? That we want in the deepest part of our being for us, for somebody to know us, to connect with us. We, we have this deep desire for connection. And one of the struggles that we have right now, one of the new struggles we have in the last hundred years or so, is that most, so many of our technologies promise this connection without effort. Like, hey, like, I will connect you to people that you don't have to change for, that know you and see you. Not only that, it's going to require no effort at all. And on top of that, you know what? It's not going to be the, it, it, dude, you can make up who you are all you want to. So they're only going to get to see a part of you, really. So you get to actually, there's, because here's the deal. Not only do we, is our deepest, our deep, one of our deepest desires to be known, it's also at the exact same time our deepest fear. What if they actually knew me? And so these technologies come along and, and say, hey, why don't you just tell people who you are? We'll connect you in, in, in over a great distance and over a great time to people that, with no friction. Uh, my concern is that it's not working. My concern is that this shortcut's actually a dead end, right? That, because what's happening is we actually know that this person that I'm connected to doesn't really know me. Uh, because I know who I am, and I know who I'm presenting myself as, and it's not me. So that deep desire to be known and loved is not there. And what we find here, and what we find so often in Scripture is that when you meet Jesus, he already knows you. Nathaniel, I think it's so interesting that he's like, Nathaniel's come to see, he's like, Philip, come and see. So he comes, he's like, I'll come check out this Jesus. Uh, you know, it's like me when somebody says they have the best apple pie. I'll be the judge of this. Uh, and so he's like, I'll be the judge of this, if this is God is the Messiah or not. So he walks up and he comes to see, comes to see and Jesus says, you've come to see me? I've already seen you, man. I've seen you to your core. I've seen you to your soul. I know you already. And that's what we find so often. When we come to Jesus, you find that he already knows you. Which is great news, by the way. It's terrifying, I admit, but it's great news. Because it's our deepest desire to be known to our core. And he says, I know you already. So here's the deal. It means that we can, when we come to Jesus, you can just be honest with him. He already knows. You can come to him and say, I have my questions. I have no problem with people asking questions about Christianity. There's just a right place to ask them. So come and see and be part of it and ask your questions. He knows you have questions, ask him. He knows that you have shame and that you have sin and that you have question, guilt and that you have all of these things that you're bringing to the table. Since he already knows, just go ahead and be honest with him about it. It's one of the beauties of coming to Christ. He knows your inadequacies already. So Nathaniel comes to him and he says, I, I seen you. I think we learn, we see this so much. If you, as you grow in reading scripture and meditating and learning on scripture, I think so often we think we're reading scripture and you, you find out every now and then that scripture's been reading you. <laughs> you open up and you're, you're reading this. Like, it's why at some point in my life I can read the uh, the. Uh, parable of the prodigal son and think that I'm the prodigal son, right? I'm the one that ran away and squandered my family's inheritance on terrible things, and I come with my tail between my legs coming back. And then there's other times in your life that you read this story and you're just really convicted that you're the older son, that you're the one that stands in judgment of the younger son who left, who refuses to come into the party. You're the one that stands in judgment side. And then there's times that you reach in your life when you just weep that the father runs. Because it's reading me 
because the Bible, it's God's word to us. God knows us already. He knows our psychology. He knows our brokenness. He knows our, us inside and out. There's gonna come a time when eventually if you listen, you will say, you will hear him say, I'm the good shepherd, and your heart will say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's also great news because of how Jesus deals with people. He knows us, but then look how he deals with Nathaniel. He doesn't say to Nathaniel, you've come to judge me. Don't you know I'm the son of God? I'm the king of Israel, and you've come to judge, cast judgment on me? He doesn't. He just gently corrects him and shows him a deeper way. Jesus does this over and over again, by the way. He's genuine seekers he's so kind to. Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector, a known thief. He would take more than he was supposed to. It was just how you made a living. And he climbs this tree because he's a short cat and he wants to see Jesus and he's walking on the thing and Jesus just stops and says, hey, get down from there. I want to go to your house. He doesn't say, hey, you've been stealing money from the people of Israel, quit it. You've been doing all of these things. If you repent, I'll come to your house. He goes, hey, no, you, sinner, come down. I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to eat with you today. He deals gently with sinners. Simon, we just talked about this a couple weeks ago. Simon Peter, he's just betrayed Jesus. And Jesus does what? He doesn't say, hey man, pull it together. Next time I need you to be braver. No, he makes him breakfast on the beach and says, I'm gonna send you out to take care of my people. There's a woman at what? There's this lady at the well. She's a Samaritan woman, and Jesus goes to her, and they're having this crazy conversation. He's not even really supposed to be talking to her by societal rules. And she says to him, he says to her, like, hey, why don't you bring your husband? I'll talk to him too. And she goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, yeah, I know. You've had five. And the guy you're living with now is not your husband. And she's like, wow, you really do know me. And Jesus doesn't get up and leave. He doesn't condemn her. He invites her to sit and talk and bring other people to hear what he has to say. When you have this deep fear of coming to God because of who you are and what you've done, you need to know he knows you to your core and he loves you anyway and he will deal gently with you. One of the craziest verses in all of scripture is when Jesus describes himself. He says, come to me, I am gentle and lowly. He calls us to him and then he moves us forward. So uh, he comes, uh, Nathaniel comes and says, like he has this amazing moment, this turning point where he says, clearly you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. And Jesus, I think probably, I'm reading this into this, but in my mind there's, like a, there's at least a smile on his face, a hint of laughter maybe. He says, uh, because I said, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You'll see greater things than this. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. He says, Nathaniel, man, because I know you, you think, man, you were going to see me give you access to eternity itself. But the way he's going to do it, Nathaniel doesn't know it yet, but it's going to involve a cross. And he's going to ask Nathaniel to pick up his own cross daily, putting to death his desires and his wants to follow Jesus. Jesus moves us forward. He saves us where we're at. Then he moves us forward into a deeper understanding of who he is. He never leaves us where he finds us. He loves us too much to do that. But then he seems to work in upside down ways or backwards ways, ways that don't make sense to the rest of the world. He doesn't 
always work in dramatic ways. He works in the ordinary. He works in the following of him in the ordinary daily things of life. He teaches us humility. He teaches us on the daily to look at the cross. Like in all things, look at the cross. If you want to know how the depth of your sin, that's what your cross, that's what your, the cross is what your sin cost. He knows you that deeply. If you want to know how deeply loved you are, look at the cross. <laughs> that when we were sinners, when we were rebellious, when we were against God, that's when he went and died for us, not when we cleaned our lives up. This is what it means that you are known and loved. And I think that we have to continue to work hard. I think this church does a great job at it, but we have to continue to work hard. The church needs to be this place. We have to be this place in the world and, and it, where we know people and we know that they're fallen and, and we, like Jesus, know that we were, since we were, when he found us and where he's brought us, that we meet people we know where, yeah, you're a sinner. Yeah, don't, like that's, of course you are, so am I. I, I know the grace that I've been shown. Why would I not be patient and with, with you while God shows you grace and moves you. We have to be this place where we forgive and we get hurt and we hurt others and we have to continue. To, we do it poorly. We're not great at it, as a, but we continue to try. We continue to move forward in this exact same way because we know how deeply loved we are. We know what God has done in our life. We know how deeply loved we are by Jesus and we know how deeply he loves others. So we become that place whether you encounter Christ in the church. So, in the words of Philip, come and see. Let's pray. Father, you are mighty. You're powerful. With your word, you created everything that is. And into this world that we thought we knew how to run better than you, You stepped, you became flesh so that we could have access to purpose and meaning and tell us no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, by being in relationship with you. Call us. Call us. Call us into deeper and deeper relationship with you, into more and more trust, into realizing every single day how greatly we depend on you for everything. May we be a people that just celebrate all that you do for us every single day because your mercies are new every single morning. May we be people eager to run to you in celebration and in repentance, in struggles and in shame. May we always, always, always run to you. Call us. Call us deeply in a relationship with you, knowing that we are forgiven because of what Christ has done, knowing that we are accepted because we can have purpose and meaning because of Jesus Christ. His body broken and his blood spilled that we may have life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.